Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burger Master. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burger Master is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burger Master on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team at Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. And what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. All right, everybody. Welcome to I don't even know what number episode of Real Hawk Talk it is. It has been so long since the boys and we will have a non-boy identified gender uh, person um, join the show for for the first time in, in too long. But it's been a while since we've been here. It's been a while since there's been something worth talking about um, relative to the Seahawks. And boy, do we have something worth talking about today. Uh, I am Brian Nemhauser at HawkBlogger on Twitter. Um, You can find us uh, uh, at RealHawkTalk on Twitter uh, or slash RealHawkTalk on YouTube and Facebook. Um, or excuse me, slash Hawk blogger on, on uh, YouTube and Facebook and can subscribe there. If you haven't already, this is a perfect time. Click subscribe, click the little bell, get notified when we go live because you never know when the Seahawks are going to have something worth talking about and we're going to be on to talk about it. So uh, lots to do today. Um, let me welcome in the, the crew. Um, we'll start with uh, Evan Hill at Evan S-E-A. How is it going, dude? It is good. Can we just take a second to appreciate that? I am one of the four members who is always on time for this podcast. <laughs> Nathan Ernst. Oh, he was, I was, he was here at one o'clock. I was on. Yeah. See, yeah. under the wire, but I made it. I, I, I was with you, Evan, when you, you were going to say that, that you were early, but technically Nathan was exactly on time. This is true. Very punctual. Very punctual. I'm always very punctual. See, I grew up with a mother who would set the clocks ahead 20 minutes. So we were always places early. And I actually found that as annoying as being late. So technically the most, the best way to live your life is to always be on time. You're not wasting time being early. You're not wasting time being late. You're just exactly on time. Now, it stresses me out when Nathan's not here and Jeff's doing God knows, like he's trying to travel through the internet at like this, at like 
dial up speeds, but you know, Nathan's usually here. So I'll give him that. Um, speaking of Nathan, uh, uh, Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11, or have you changed? I, I thought I saw a change recently. Are you still at Nathan E11? Didn't. Yeah, yeah. Still Nathan E11. So. All right, cool. Uh, Welcome, hey. dude. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's been yeah, a while. It's good, good to see you. Um, and we have a special guest today. We will, we will hopefully get Jeff Simmons aboard, although he dialed in for a second with one of the worst angles uh, and qualities of visual that I think we've seen on this show. And apparently I think he's golfing. Um, so I don't think we're going to, like I have the ability to admit or, or deny people um, <laughs> on this show. And uh, I don't know if I will admit Jeff, even if he joins, we'll see how that goes. Um, but even without Jeff, we have got a special guest. Uh, Dana O'Gorman uh, is joining us uh, for the first time. And Dana's at Dana, D-A-Y-N-A-O-G. O-G. That sounds like not O'Gorman. I thought you were like yeah. really making a statement with that O-G. Well, I guess you could look at it that way. But Dana. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about this trade. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. And, and Dana, tell, tell folks a little bit about what you do. You're the editor and senior NFL writer um, for Our Turf Football. You cover the NFC West and the AFC West. Uh, you're a member of the Pro Football Writers Association of America. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. So um, like you mentioned, I write for um, Our Turf Football. Um, I'm one of the co-owners over there. Used to be called NFL Female. A lot of people knew us under that name, but we switched that over about three years ago um, when we bought the website from the original owner. And we are a website full of female sports writers. And we started off as fans and became writers and then really became writers. And we just have really enjoyed it. Um, we like to give kind of a different perspective. A lot of times we, um, we have four main writers. Each one of us covers two divisions. And I think I have the two best divisions in the, in the entire league. So between the AFC and the NFC West, I, I, they keep me pretty busy covering all eight teams. It's a lot of fun. So then we do, um, a little podcast here and there, um, also, but for the most part, we just write. So we have a great time. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for, uh, finding the time to join us. Yeah. Um, now, I think the, the news of the day is that the, the Seahawks have traded Bradley McDougal. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know how people feel. A lot of us are pretty attached to how Bradley had played for the Seahawks and that he, you know, had a very affordable contract. Um, you know, Evan, you've talked a lot about how Bradley McDougal was one of the best signings of the Schneider era for the, the price he had. How do you feel about them moving on? I couldn't tell if you were being sarcastic at the beginning or not. Oh, I'm, I'm a little bit sarcastic. <laughs> oh, 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 so you are being sarcastic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I think in terms of, in terms of value, they, didn't they snipe him from the Buccaneers? Like it was either two or three years ago. Uh, he was a free agent and he, they signed him on like a one year prove it type of deal. It was like, really yep. cheap though. It was like 800 K. So I guess there's really zero risk from the Seahawks side, but I mean, I'm actually, it's kind of like one of the underrated parts of this trade is I don't mind that they gave him up, but at the same time, like I am going to miss him. I think he was a serviceable starter at safety and, you know, he had a couple big hits, a couple hit, you know, big plays every once in a while. I, I thought relative to his contract value, he was a very, very serviceable starter for us. And, I think he's a locker room leader too. I'm going to miss him. Um, I hope he does well in New York, but obviously uh, Jamal Adams is a huge upgrade. 
Ah, Jamal Adams. Yeah, I forgot about that part of the trade. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, let's talk about that. And we're, let's get initial reactions. Um, and Dana, let's start with you. Uh, the news broke yesterday around one o'clock, I think, somewhere around there. Um, how did you first hear about it? What was your first reaction to the news? Well, when this broke, I was actually at my nephew's basketball tournament and the service inside was terrible. And so I missed it at the beginning. I, I didn't get that alert at all until I walked into the parking lot. And then, you know, they, there had been, we all knew Jamal Adams had put the Seahawks on his list of teams. He was okay being traded to. And so I wouldn't say I was shocked when it happened until I learned what all the details of the trade were. Then I was really surprised that Seattle did it, um, but not in a bad way, thrilled. I, I was so excited. Um, and it, it was, it was a, it was more exciting even after you saw his reaction to it. I think that added a lot to it, but I, I was really excited. I thought it was, I thought it was a good trade and I, I'm totally okay with the terms, which I know not everyone is, but, and I'm sure we'll talk about that, but yeah, I was, I was thrilled. Cool. Yeah. I, I'd love to hear from you, uh, Nathan, and we'll get back to you, Evan, give you an honest chance to respond. But, uh, uh, We've talked a lot about compensation and, and deals like this and some of the history. And, you know, there's absolutely different sides of how people react. Where was your initial gut when you heard of the move? And, and then separately, once you heard about the compensation? I think I was a little too surprised to react. So I'm over at my mom's house, so I'm not even home or anything. We're staying over with, uh, with her and I have been mostly off Twitter. And so I just happened to like check my phone and refresh Twitter, and there was the Schefter like, oh, you know, here are the terms of the deal. And I was like, I like did like three double checks, like that's a blue check, right? That's the Schefter, right? I'm like, really? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I was pretty blown away by, by the terms of the deal. I mean, that was probably the next big thing. Um, I mean, two first round picks is a lot. And so it was kind of a lot to digest. Like, you, the trade for me kind of came out of nowhere. I knew that he was on the list, but like I had not heard like rumblings that something was imminent or anything like that. And then, you know, there's the terms and they gave up a ton, right? It's not the clowny trade at all. So there's no immediate, like, yeah, we got a great player and then we fleeced them. And so it's kind of like, Oh boy, that's a lot. And then, you know, my mind went to the safety situation right now where they spent a, a high second round pick on Marquise Blair. And what does that mean for him? And so, um, I still don't think I have a real solid like opinion or hot take on this quite yet. Let me give yeah. you some context real quick, actually, to the timeline. So this is something I learned after the fact. Uh, Jamal Adams has a $2.75 million roster bonus that is due on the fifth day of training camp. Okay. And I think that may have acted as a sort of, I don't know if artificial is the right word, but an artificial deadline in terms of if, you know, the Jets had kept him past you know, day four and day five rolls around, they have to pay him a lump sum of $2.75 million. So the Seahawks, you know, by trading for him uh, will absorb and pay that roster bonus. So I think that is potentially why this came out of nowhere and, you know, training camp is quickly approaching. Well, that's interesting. And, and Evan, let, let's get your your honest take. When you first heard about the deal, and specifically, I mean, you've been talking about this trade a little bit, even leading up to this. Uh, you know, how do you feel about the potential impact? Because they're going to have to sign this guy to an extension at some point. How how do you feel about the impact that could have to extending Chris Carson? <laughs> Brian, 
<laughs> you leave me speechless sometimes. You leave me speechless. Uh, that's a whole different conversation because I think they will end up extending Chris Carson. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I was shocked by the compensation. I, and I may be one of those people who probably overvalues draft picks to a certain extent. So I, I'm not you know, opposed to that argument at all. Uh, but two first round picks and a third round pick is is some heavy compensation. I, I get he's a super premium player. He's entering his fourth season, I think, in the NFL. So very young player. He's actually younger than LJ Collier, which is hilarious to me. I, I saw a ton of people tweeting that. So in, in terms of, I will say this. At first, I was shocked by the compensation and frankly, pretty devastated by the compensation. <laughs> and I, and I, I was very pissed off. I was like, this is a team that, or this is a trade that like bad teams make. Like the reason I was so excited by the Frank Clark trade is because like, that's what you, how do I word this in a way that makes sense? Like trading for a player where you trade intense, you know, capital and having to pay him is typically, and I don't think this is a divisive or controversial comment is typically unwise. Like it hasn't worked historically in the past very often. So when they traded Frank Clark and, you know, got a first round and a second round pick and whatever, blah, blah, blah. I was stoked about that because they didn't have to pay him then. Uh, Jamal Adams is, you know, the other side of the coin, he's a defensive back. So I think everybody historically has been like, you know, pass coverage is more important, at least more predictable or more consistent than the pass rush. So I'm glad they did it on a defensive back. Um, I, I guess my concern is this. I don't know if there's many players in the NFL that I'd be willing, like remove this trade for a second. I, I don't know if there's many players in the NFL that I'd be willing to pay two first round picks and a third round pick for. Now, Jamal Adams is near the top of that list in terms of the players I would do it for. But I, I, I just, I'm thinking about the mid to long-term future here, not the short-term. Like, obviously this makes the Seahawks better in the next two to three years, four years, even of course, no debate there. Um, but, you know, building through the draft where you have solid club control on a rookie, uh, you know, a draft pick that you nail for at least four years. And if, if it's in the first round uh, five years where you get the fifth year option, that's the best way. The ideal way to build is sustainable, pattern of success and i mean don't get me wrong i'm super excited about the player (laughs) and i'm progressing through the stages of grief here so you kind of hear me doing this in real time but at first to answer your question i was pretty shocked by the trade capital well i I think that let's i'll share where where my head's at on a couple things so one i mean nathan you talked about it being a surprise and gotta admit it was a surprise to me like and and i don't know (laughs) This is not the first, second, third, fourth, fifth time that the Seahawks have made a move of this magnitude. Um, maybe not for this level of compensation, but you know, a, a, a tectonic level trade for a, a big name, and that coming or going. Include Frank Clark in that you know list of trades, right? So I don't know why I continue to be surprised <laughs> by these things, but I was, um, and then. I have two two reactions to it. So one, I, you know, I give you a lot of crap, Evan, and I really enjoy doing it. Um, but but I think there's there's two ways. So, so one, if you're acquiring talent for your team through trade, like 
a player that's established and already good versus a Chris Clemens trade is a different kind of trade. If you're trading for a guy that you, you know, the diamond in the rough, that's one thing. But if you're acquiring your talent, that's established talent through trade and you're giving up draft capital or you're doing it through free agency, you're doing it the wrong way. Like period. That is the wrong way to manage a roster. That is the wrong way to manage cap. Like I even question if it's the right way to acquire like talent that is intent on playing well. Like a lot of these guys that end up, if they're very good and they want to be traded, a lot of times it's about money and it's not about a a guy that's, that's really in it for, for winning. Like, so Mm -hmm. anyway, I think there's all sorts of reasons to say, wow, this is not a good thing. And, and, and that, and then, so that was a, that was one part of the reaction, but really my, my very first reaction was Jamal Adams is, he's not a blue chipper. He's like a platinum chipper. He is, he is not a pro bowler. He is an all pro. He's not a single, you know, second team all pro. He's a first team all pro. Um, he's 24 years old. He is a six overall pick the Seahawks ability to acquire a talent like that is there's not a lot of other ways for them to do it other than having to potentially get very fortunate and hit on that in the late first round, you know, something like a find a George Kittle in the third or fourth, like it happens. It definitely happens, but it's a lot harder to find that level of talent with where the Seahawks have been drafting. So look, uh, I was excited. And uh, I also understand the, the, the like criticism of the implications and the way to do it. For me, that was a third or fourth reaction to it. And that really gets back more, less about this trade and more about the fact that they blew Tedrick Thompson. They blew Lano Hill. You know, we don't know what's going to happen relative to Marquise Blair. Like, they've blown this position pretty badly. Um, You know, other than the Quandre Diggs trade, which was another trade, but that was a great trade um, in terms of compensation. So it's a complex piece, but like, I'm kind of with Dana. I was like, hey, uh Seahawks got better like Mm -hmm. I'd say I would say Jamal Adams is probably the second best player on the Seahawks without a doubt yeah I agree now remember this is all pending physical so so I'm not saying he's Bradley McDougal is gonna pull a Jeremy Lane here but it's not official that's all I'm saying sure I hadn't thought of that that's actually like I'm not like worried about it, but I don't think Brad McDougal's right. I mean, I don't think that's really even a secret, right? Like, so if he's in any way like a thing the Jets want, that is like, I guess, mildly concerning. But I, I can't imagine the Jets aren't aware of his history and stuff either. Yeah, that's, I, I mean, I tweeted that this morning because like I was sitting there reading the paper. And I was like, pending physical. I read that. And I was like, oh crap. Like, because McDougal's knee, like, it's not right. And he didn't, he like played better last year, but he also clearly is like, I think he's limited in time. I think he's probably maybe got a few more years left. And uh, the thing that makes me feel most comfortable is like, Nathan, can you imagine them being like, yeah, we're going to risk the Seahawks pulling back their two firsts and a third, uh, you know, over like, well, would it, it wouldn't it just like adjust the trade compensation like it did with the Texans? They could try, but that's a huge risk. Is someone mm-hmm. else going to give them two firsts and a third? No, they would have done it already if they were going to. I mean, literally, this it's not like this is just like new yesterday. I, I, I want to take a second, if we can, and go back to something that Evan said. So he yeah. said that, um, you know, this makes Seattle better for the 
next three to four years, no question, but you worry about the long term. So think about what you just said. This makes Seattle better for the next three to four years. That takes Russell Wilson to what, 34, 35. That takes Pete Carroll through his career. And so they don't care. They they are in for the next three to four years. So yes, we might be, you know, bemoaning this five, six years down, down the way. But at that point, who cares if they've won at least one more Super Bowl? And and how does Seattle win? How do they get there? They get there through their defense. Now, that is no diss to Russell Wilson. I love and adore the way he plays because he's a team player. I love everything about him. But this is what Seattle fans wanted. They wanted more weapons around Russell Wilson, which they got. I actually am a bit, I like Philip Dorsett, so I'm really excited about that addition. I don't think he's a superstar, but I think he's good. DK Metcalf is going to get nothing but better. And I think Chris Carson will come back strong. I really like Chris Carson, but the defense is where we were having so many problems last year. So if this makes the defense better and then if Dunbar plays too, holy cow, then three to four years. Yeah, I'm good with that. I, I'm good I love, with that. I love that, Dana. And, and I want to ask this, this crew because, because Evan and, and Nathan often represent, uh, you know, more cautious, uh, conservative uh, side of some of these things. Um, I would just say it, for, for the knowing that we, I think we all agree the compensation is not a good thing to be giving up in general. I think we're aligned on that's not the way to build a roster. But if the Seahawks win a Super Bowl, or let me put it this way, what will it take to this for this to have been uh, a worthwhile deal um, where you will not bemoan the compensation? What's the what's the accomplishment that has to happen? I think like a deep playoff push, like an NFC Championship mm-hmm. appearance, and. I know that's a team accomplishment, but um, Dana, I think you absolutely nailed it, actually. I mean, if the Seahawks won a Super Bowl because of this, let's give them six extra first round picks. (laughs) Thank you. Like, I I don't care at that point. So you're 100% on the money with that. Um, I guess my concern is this, though, and it's kind of like my counter argument to that. Are the Seahawks, before this trade, one Jamal Adams away from being serious Super Bowl contenders? And I'm not saying they aren't. I'm just not confident in saying yes. So that's my only obstacle. So I think, in my opinion, I don't think they were one Jamal Adams away. But what they were was actually having running backs on the roster that aren't injured away, plus a Jamal Adams, plus a pass rusher. And I know not everyone was excited about Bruce Irwin coming back, but he had nine sacks last year. Nobody in Seattle had that. And so you add that with the three and a half sacks that Adams had last year. I mean, come on, 12 and a half. Let's, you know, I, so I think that there are those little bits and pieces where they can get better. Plus the superstar of Jamal Adams. I think that that, I, I think that that could add up to a Super Bowl for this team, but I'm optimistic. So. <laughs> no, that's fair. I see. I I'm, I'm young and broken. So I, I fully, I fully understand you. Wait, I'm, I'm seeing that the Seahawks released Brandon Jackson. Whoa. I think now the Cardinals got down to 80 players today. I would not be surprised if a lot of teams follow that. That is correct. Mm -hmm. Just announced. Brian, what's the better news in the last 25? (laughs) I know where Jeff would be on this. I mean, like this is is like, I feel so bad that Jeff Simmons is not here to celebrate this moment. Nobody (laughs) dislikes Brandon Jackson on this roster more than Jeff. He Adding Jamal Adams, is that more of a positive than like moving Brandon Jackson? <laughs> well, this is like, this is improvement from both directions, right? Like, I, I think. Improvement from just, subtraction? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, 
Well, let's just assume, I, I assume you guys come to the same conclusion I do. The fact that they're releasing Brandon Jackson, a defensive lineman, means that they're about to sign Jadavian Clowney, right? Clowney or Griffin. Yeah. I'm oh, it's going to happen. Yeah. I, I'm still kind of got a little holdout for, for Everson Griffin a little bit. I'm not going to lie, but, you know, one or the yeah. other, please. Uh, Nathan, I wanted to hear from you on that question, though. Like, wh- what do you think... What do you think would make this trade a good trade? Um, you know, and looking back once it's, you've had some time to see the, the performance. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if I mean, it's not really safe to say if Adam stay, stays healthy, but like obviously he has to stay healthy, right? I mean, otherwise it, it mm-hmm. becomes a very different thing. But I don't think that he needs to do much more than or be anything more than what he's been, right? I mean, he's a great player. Um, and so if he can just keep that up and, you know, no regressions, just stay healthy, like, um, I don't think that there there needs to be anything for him personally, right? I mean, the thing that I, I, I'm really hopeful to see is that this pass defense gets a lot better, right? And they're adding in Dunbar, right? And so that's part of it. And and But if they add him and he's still the great player that he is, and we're, and we're talking about, like, the 16th or 17th best defense, right? Like kind of have to wonder what you actually accomplished by giving up all that to get him right because he can because if he continues to be great but your, your team doesn't take the step forward that you want then it, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter so putting it in terms of like a playoff push is hard because a lot of stuff goes into that right and that's putting that on any one player even just a quarterback can be difficult right um but i, I do think you at least hope that you see some kind of a, a step forward in their past defense and their hopefully their defense overall yeah, I, I mean, as far as the things that Jamal Adams can directly impact, and I think that's what you're getting at, Nathan, you know, if he, for me, if he maintains an all-pro level of performance and the Seahawks sign him to an extension, I, I think I will consider that, like, a good deal. Um, I think I think that that's, you know, it's just finding a way to get an all-pro player, I, I will consider it at least a push if, if nothing else, um, mm-hmm. as far as like putting it over the top would be this defense looking competent, you know, uh, you know, maybe better than that. And, and Dana, you said, if they're going to go back to a super bowl, it's going to be on the defense. I don't know if this is what you meant. I will tell you what I interpret that to mean. Okay. <laughs> I, I think, I think that the defense has been holding this team back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, uh, I know others have other opinions about what's been holding this team back, but I think the, the, the defense has been so bad that it had put like way too much strain on other parts of the, mm-hmm. the, the team to, to pull through. If this defense can be top half of the league legitimately, then I think Russell Wilson and the offense is, is good enough or can be good enough to win a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. And they just weren't really close to that in my opinion last year I thought they were an awful awful defense um, for most of the time so um, yeah I don't think they have to be the best unit on the team in order for them to win the Super Bowl I just think just top 15 to- would do the job mm-hmm. top 10 I'd feel better about <laughs> <laughs> I think we all would <laughs> right all right right I mean so Interestingly, I mean, like speaking of Super Bowls and what this does I agree with you Evan I don't think that this makes the Seahawks the odds on favorite to win the super bowl different, no. different thing right are are they in better position to win a super bowl now than they were yesterday of course i think we all yeah absolutely right and isn't that what you want from an off season you know there's so many negative nellies out there who are like oh you know we did this or why didn't we do this or we didn't need a safety we needed a pass rusher blah 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 blah, blah. but when you look at the bottom line of it 
is you have to look at the players that are out there, the players that are available, the, um, you know, the people who want um, to be traded, the, you know, who, who is out there that is within Seattle's grasp and you get a player that makes you that much better, then that's a win. I, I realize that it's a lot to give up, but it's a win. Yes. Yes, Dana. I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. And, you know, we look at Russell Wilson and we want to, you know, we have this premier elite talent on in our, as in our quarterback and look what he managed to do with that horrid defense last year. And I think that's what you guys were trying to say. If we can even make this defense serviceable top 15, top 10, Russell Wilson elevates everything else about it. And he managed to get us, you know, get Seattle to, you know, an, was it 11 win season last year? And so, and I, w- I want to say this and you guys can do what you want. I, this season does not count. I just want to keep saying that out loud. I've said it a million times over on our turf. We cannot judge what is going to happen in the future by what happens this season, because it's such a weird season and there's so many odd things going on. And so we have those you know, people in our fan base who will throw a fit if doesn't everything doesn't work this first season. And I just keep saying, yeah, 20 doesn't count. 21. Well, count. Wait, wait, wait. If we win the Super Bowl, it counts. No, you know, it you know what I mean? It counts like I'm more saying... than any other season, right? <laughs> well, yes, I get that. But do you know what I mean? I mean, if things don't go well, we can't say that it was a bad trade. We can't say it was a bad idea because who knows? I keep saying, wait until an entire position group has to be quarantined for 14 days. Well, I think we'll figure that out. I yeah, think good point. There's two things I want to sort of unpack there. Number yeah. one, I actually wanted to bring this up with you guys. It's sort of a random talking point. Do you guys think there will be any Seahawks players that opt out of this of this season? I would be surprised. Brian, Nathan? The whole situation with the minimum guys where they can opt out and get some money guaranteed, and I could... Again, not having a great grasp of what all that's about, potentially maybe you see some kind of bottom of the roster types take advantage of that. But um, no, I mean, Russell Wilson's already posting videos and everything of him working out with all these different people. And I don't think so. Brian, you in the same boat? Uh, yeah, it's just hard. I think it's impossible to predict. There's nobody that comes to mind. That I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy's a real risk of that. Um, it, it Could there be one person out of – What's the roster limit now? It's, it's not going to be 53 anymore, right? 55, I 50, think. Yeah. I think it's too more. Well, then practice squad on top of it, but yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. I figure like 60-odd players, like could yeah. there be one? Sure. Is it going to be yeah. anything like, you know, a guy that you count on? I don't know. Probably not is where I, I would guess. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the second no. sort of element I wanted to unpack with what you said, Dana, is I, as somebody who's sort of not – I don't want to say pessimistic about this trade because I'm really excited about the player, but I am, you know, uncomfortable with the trade compensation. I don't think we'll have a true understanding of who the winner of this trade is for another four to five years. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think this is like something where we can quickly say that I saw tweets today that were like the jets won this trade Mm -hmm. like right now. And I'm, I'm just not, I can't buy that yet. No. They, they keep giving away their first round draft picks. So apparently, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. We won't know. And, it, you know, it depends now. They I think that the new GM, is this his first or second year? I can't remember. But, and so, you know, they, they'll be interesting to see what he does with those picks and that sort of thing. But then you have to look at the college football element of it. Some of these players aren't going to play ball this year. And so then you're drafting in a question mark. And so who you haven't seen play this or who you have. And so I think that when you look at the, the brass tacks of all of it, that, that, 
there's always Seattle's not the best at the first round picks and, or they trade out of them completely and don't have one versus then you add in a questionable draft. I don't think that giving up next year's first round pick is as big of a deal as maybe it would. I am very sympathetic to that argument. Actually. I think that's the, best argument I've heard that's resonated with me is it's going to be one year less of film on those college prospects Mm -hmm. that come out next year. It could be a shit show. It could be like that 2013 NFL draft. It really could. But I I think that's the best argument I've heard. I mean, I don't, I don't really like talking about sports or COVID in like a sports frame because obviously the sports part of it is like way down the list of what's important here. Right. But like, I, I think that there are like, you guys are talking about a ton of interesting implications because of the pandemic and everything on this trade, right? One is the one that you just talked about. What are we going to know about these college players? What kind of a college season is it going to be? And how will that affect scouting and drafting and all that? The other thing is you just traded for a player who you're going to have to pay and you might have just lost a year of him, right? And so that is a negative thing too, that now, you know, you're maybe you're not trading for 24-year-old Jamal Adams. Maybe you're really trading for 24. five-year-old Jamal Adams and you know I mean if he has a lost season and um you know football careers go quick we were talking about it in the the DMs last night about how you know Earl uh was 24 when Seattle lost to the Patriots which means that if Seattle played or if Adams plays for Seattle as long as Earl played for Seattle after he turned 24 Adams will only be here for four years Right. And now you're talking about potentially losing love. Now, obviously, Adams, they're probably going to try to keep him like this is the guy they're going to want around for a long time. But, you know, if we went back and told you in 2014 that Earl's got four years left, like a lot of people would have laughed at you and they would have been wrong. And so there's huge implications on how the season's going to play out, how the college season is going to play out, um, you know, in terms of the coronavirus and, and this trade. I think that's really a great point. It's funny. Before I started getting concerned about the compensation and the trade at all, my really my second reaction was, yeah, but what if there's no season this year? Mm-hmm. Like that definitely crossed my mind. Like, how does that change things? Does that like we don't yet know? I don't think what that means in terms of player contracts, uh, you know, actually tolling. Um, no pay, no know. play, or no no play, no pay is what the last thing that I read is. If they don't play, they don't get paid for it. But the year does count on their contract if i remember correctly yeah i haven't heard definitively on yeah i don't think it's been a hundred percent that's the thing so i mean like that's an open question i think to your point dana like uh, half joking about about you know whether it counts or not but Mm -hmm. um look one thing alone forget like there's a million other variables but we know that there's either going to be no fans in the stands or very few. Mm-hmm. And imagine football with no home field advantage. Where basically, like, let's, let's assume that there's no fans in the stands. Let's just start there. Like, maybe there's some, but let's say, assume that. There, is there any difference playing on one field than another with no fans? Like, it's pretty, it's pretty minor. It's not like baseball where there's literally really? different dimensions, right? It's the same mm-hmm. field. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? I mean, in some ways, you, in some ways, you could argue maybe that means the best team does win in a situation like that. Like, right? I, I was talking on, on another podcast I did that the two teams that'll be most affected by if there are no or few fans 
is Seattle and Kansas City because that's where they rely on that fan base so much. But really, other than weather, if you remove that element, other than weather, you know, no one wants to play in Green Bay in December okay. and that sort of thing. You really does it completely levels the playing field. Um, and even if they have like 25%, we know Jacksonville is going to have 25% fans at most. Um, New York says they can't have any. It's not going to be enough to make that impact. And so then we might see some some really fantastic games being at a little bit more of a level playing field. Evan, I mean, the one team that's not going to be affected by this will be the San Francisco 49ers, right? <laughs> George like, Kittle is in shambles right now. <laughs> I'm just telling you, George Kittle had nightmares last night. Well, but but before we get to Kittle, right, like they don't usually play in front of fans, right? So the 49ers. Yeah, there's no difference whatsoever <laughs> post-COVID-19 in terms of situational <laughs> stadium environment. There's absolutely no difference. Yeah. Yeah. But now we, we could, we could talk about the, the Kittle impact. So um, it has been entertaining to watch 49ers fans completely go into justification mode. They were, I don't know if you noticed, but they were frothing at the mouth at the notice that, that Adams might go to them. Like they were all in. So were Dallas Cowboy fans. They were like, I saw all these articles about what it would mean. Like there wasn't the same level of frothing for Seahawks fans, by the way. I mean, we were all excited about the potential, but no one was really obsessing about it. And then as soon as the news broke, like 49ers fans are like, oh, we don't, we don't have to trade for our talent. We just draft it. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, D Ford. (laughs) Uh, What was their receiver? Emmanuel Sanders. Like, oh my gosh. But anyway, um, and now they're saying that the only reason Seahawks made this trade is to stop George Kittle. I mean, George Kittle wasn't a threat before Jamal Adams. He's just not a concern. He's not even on the radar. Like fourth best NFC West tight end. Boo hoo. Uh, yeah. So Dana, scary. Welcome to the show. Uh, I love Nathan. It. Nathan. So one of the things that I had mentioned in the group chat again last night was, you know, this is a trade that Seattle's made a few times before and it's yet to work out well for them. Right. And, you know, we can argue about Jimmy Graham and how good he was. And, you know, I don't know that you can say giving up a first for what they got out of Jimmy Graham with a net positive. Right. Um, But there were like clear, like fit questions with Jimmy Graham. Right. And then also he had injuries and other things. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I feel like, and I and I said this about Sheldon Richardson, so I'm going to temper myself a little bit here, but I feel like Jamal Adams is actually a really great fit for this team. I mean, like one, Pete, while he struggles to understand passing sometimes, uh, does understand trying to defend it. Um, and so, you know, you've got, you know, obviously Pete is going to have a lot of ideas and very specific ideas and ways that he wants to use Jamal Adams, right? So that's just a good fit anyways. But um, I think the way that Jamal Adams plays you know, you look at what Seattle had a ton of problems with last year, right? And, you know, end arounds and and some of that kind of stuff and some of the quicker stuff um, uh, and how the Rams play offense and, and you know, how they're trying to kind of send teams like horizontally and vertically, like it, it's tough, right? And so I, I think though, Jamal Adams patches a lot of those specific holes that they had. So while, you know, Jimmy Graham was a great player when they traded for him, they traded a lot for him. There were some fit questions, right? Jamal Adams is a great player, but there are no those, none of those fit questions. And so that's one of the things that I think that will help this, you know, when we talk about like, what do you want to see out of this trade to make it worthwhile? Mm-hmm. Like if he can come in and plug some of those very specific problems that they had last year, that's another big thing that he can bring here um, that helps, you know, ease the pain of what they had to give up for him. You yeah, know, it, it's a great call out. And I'll go, I think Evan, you're going to say something, but, but 
Adams is one of those really unique players where it's like, you could say, oh my, man, his best asset is an amazing run defender. That's great because the Seahawks have had a ton of trouble stopping the run the last few years. And the 49ers just dominate them a lot of times in the run, right? So that's that's a great thing. But that probably means he's not a great pass defender. Well, actually, he's a fantastic player, both in, co- in coverage. You're like, well, he's probably just good in zone. He's actually great in zone and he's great in man. Okay, well, you know, maybe he's not a good tackler. Nope, he's a fantastic tackler. Um, maybe he can only play at the line of scrimmage. Nope, he can play free safety. Now, he's not going to play single high, but he can play left or right safety. Um, he's played edge corner. He's played. <laughs> he's actually can play defensive end. He's the most effective defensive back rushing the passer maybe ever in his first few years um, in the league. So, like, I think people are trying to classify this guy as, like, he's the next Cam. I don't think the Seahawks have ever had a player like Jamal Adams. I, and mm-hmm. I, I mean, I can't say I know him really well, but everything I've looked at and watched him play, he's a pretty unique dude and mm-hmm. um, what he brings and how he can help the Seahawks defense in a lot of different ways. Yeah, he's a Swiss army knife of a player. And that's what does Pete Carroll love more than than a player that can play multiple positions, can be moved all over the field and help him in different packages. So it it, it, it is a logical fit that way. I could see Pete kind of salivating at the idea of having that type of player and so I do think I think he'll fit and once again I mentioned at the beginning I'm gonna say it again and then his reaction to going to Seattle I I don't think that we can forget that that I think that has a lot to do with the current head coach in New York I'm not gonna lie but at the same time his versatility he knows where he fits look at those teams he listed off he wanted to play for those are the teams that he wanted not just because they're good but because they play the type of football he wants to pay play. I think that you can't replace Cam Chancellor. There isn't another player like him and they wouldn't want to, they need more versatility for what they have now. And and he fits that bill perfectly. You know, one element that sort of concerned me, and I don't mean to be pessimistic here is I was fairly surprised to see that a negotiated extension wasn't a part of the the trade deal. So now Jamal, Ad, and I, I don't know if that was, from, maybe that was from Adam's side. Maybe that was from the Seahawks side. We don't know, but. When is that ever come back to bite Seattle trading for a player on the last year? <laughs> so, so they traded two first round picks and a third pick. Obviously he's in the long-term plans, but like his value can only go up. And, and I, and we kind of saw this with like the Laramie Tunsil situation, left tackle, you know, Dolphins traded to the Texans where he, I think broke records and got like 25 or something insane a year. Um, I, I, it's just going to cost the Seahawks a few extra million per year if they don't extend him soon. So that, that was as a cap guy, that was surprising to me that they, that wasn't negotiated a part of the trade. Well, the interesting piece, I, I mean, you, the one foreshadowing has been, I don't know if you guys followed, I assume you all follow Jake Heaps. He's been a friend of the show and, and all that, but uh, he's also really close to Russell. And when he tweets something, sometimes it feels like he's got a little bit of a, an inside perspective, <laughs> I will say. And it was maybe a week ago, maybe a little bit longer. He tweeted something like, you know, initially I was against the Jamal Adams trade idea until I heard that he'd be willing to come to a winning team and not renegotiate right away. Um, You know, he either wants to go to a team that's going to pay him right away or go to a winning team and be part of that culture, regardless of how you feel about whether that's true or not. um, It's possible that part of what made this 
happen right now is the Seahawks are like, we don't extend guys with two years left on their deal. Mm-hmm. Adams is, I've heard people say it's one year. He's got this year and next year, um, you know, on his deal. And so the Seahawks can have him play this year and then have the fifth year extension. And then technically they have the, the franchise tag. Now, mm-hmm. if it comes out that they agreed again to not do the franchise uh, tag to a player, then I, I will not be thrilled because I think that leverage helps get deal, deals done as we've seen with Clowney, um, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's definitely interesting that they didn't do that. And maybe we'll find out that they'll extend him quickly. My gut is they're not going to extend him this season. They're going to play him under this, this contract, but that's, that's just a, an initial guess. And that could be also due to the question marks surrounding this season. You know, they, they, they might want to wait. Maybe that's what they said. Listen, we need to wait out and see what's going to happen this year. And then there's all the cap questions for next year and how long that's going to extend. So they, they have a little wiggle room to say, Hey, we can't do this right now because there's too many question marks surrounding whatever. So give us this year. We'll talk to you again next year. Or maybe they spot said, we don't do that, which they have a history of not doing. You have two years left on your career, you know, contract they don't do. Um, I, I have a question for you guys though, which is the interviewer in me. So I apologize if I step on anybody's toes, but do you think this helps get the clowny deal done? The trade itself? Yeah. Um, I think it does from two aspects. So trading Bradley McDougal, actually, this is one sort of point I wanted to hit home. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trade itself, offloading Bradley McDougal and, you know, bringing in Jamal Adams, who's still on his rookie deal, actually gains is a net gain on the mm-hmm. cap space. So the Seahawks actually gain 500K in cap space from this trade. I know that's crazy to think about, but it, it's actually true. Um so that's one aspect is the Seahawks have extra cap space after this trade. The second aspect is uh, Clowney for all intents and purposes has said he wants to, you know, play for a Super Bowl ring and the Seahawks are a lot more s- serious Super Bowl contenders with Jamal Adams on the roster. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys saw Jamal Adams in his like Snapchat or Instagram live, whatever the heck the, the teens are using these days. Yeah. It was like, Hey, you know, Clowney, if you're hearing or you're listening, you might as well stay. So I, I think this trade increases the chances of that clowny resigns with the Seahawks. Nathan, I see that look. What are you, what are you thinking? <laughs> oh, no, I'm still trying to figure out his contract situation. Um, he signed a four-year deal, but he has a fifth year that's completely unguaranteed. Fifth year, first, fifth fifth year, year option. option. So he's a first-round pick? Okay, okay. Uh, all right. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know how much it will really matter. I can't imagine it would hurt the chances to bring Clowney back. Mm-hmm. I mean, that Evan just said. Well, yeah. I mean, are we all agreed that that's the still, 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 still the number one thing that they need to do to to make this off season successful is get, you know. If it's Griffin or Clowney, would we both would we all feel like okay, you know they've addressed the pass rush the way they you know in, in at least an acceptable way? I don't think mm-hmm. any of us will. I, based on how they've done this, I don't think any of us will say they've done it the right way or the best possible way. But if they get one of those two guys for this year, it feels like they will have have uh, put themselves in position to be a much better pass rushing team than they were last year. Mm-hmm. I think, I, and again, I, like I said, I'm a fan of Bruce Irvin, so I think adding him helped to a certain extent. But it also, we also know that he won't just just be a pass rusher. They'll move him all over. But I, I think that that is the one thing that's left that 
Seattle fans have been clamoring for that the media talks about is that pass rush. Um, and, and we saw how much better Seattle was with Clowney, how much better after they added digs. I think that was a huge, huge piece of it too. And so I think that's still that one piece you need a good pass rusher. Does it have to be elite level? I don't know because now that I am a little more confident in the secondary, <laughs> that I think that that helps that too, to a certain extent. But I think that is still the one, and I don't even think it's a glaring hole, but it's still the hole that that people are are needing and wanting to be filled in order for this to be a successful offseason. Yeah, uh, and Nathan, I want to ask you because the other thing that we've talked about a lot is nickel corner and slot corner. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about Marquise Blair and the impact this has on, on his uh, career. Um, what's your, what's your prognostication about where Blair fits into the coming year and how the Seahawks handle nickel corner, given what they currently have on the roster? I mean, I think what they want to happen, I think what would be ideal is if, you're playing um, Diggs and Adams in base. And then when you want to go to nickel, you slide Diggs down into the slot and Blair comes in and plays next to Adams. I'm, I would be cautious about whether that can actually happen or not. Um, Obviously what we saw from Blair was tantalizing at times, but also like needs to go a long ways. And like you said, like Jamal Adams is not Earl Thomas, right? Um, I know you guys kind of push back on the cam comps. I actually think Adams is very similar to cam in a lot of ways. Um, you watch him take on blockers and stuff and he will rock. Glide. I mean, nobody is cam, right. But um, he, he, there are a lot of similarities there. So um, it, it's not that Adams couldn't play single high, but that's not where he's best. And then I don't know that you either want Blair playing single high or, in, or that that's where he's at his best either. So I think that that's an awkward fit, even though sliding digs down into the slot is feels pretty natural. Um, but, you know, I mean, Adams did kind of play all over the place. So um, maybe it's finally the year that they do some big nickel stuff and they get a little creative with that. Um, we've said it every year for about five years. They were going to draft Mark Barron. They were going to do all this cool stuff. I mean, you know, it just keeps not happening. Um, so... Uh, there are definitely a lot of ways that are possible to get them all in the field at the same time. I don't know that I think many of those or any of those will come to fruition. Yeah. Evan, if you could, I think you've got a different perspective on how they're going to use Blair. I think you've, you've got some impression that they're going to use Blair in the nickel, but, but how are you seeing that come about? Yeah, I, I just think Blair is a playmaker. Like he, you know, he, he causes turnovers. He's a big hitter. I, I think he could possibly com- compete with. I'm not saying this is for sure going to happen, but I could see him competing with Amadi at nickel. I mm-hmm. they didn't address that position in the off season, at least I, I, not off of my memory. I don't think they signed any nickel corners that were notable. Didn't address it in the draft. Um, so right now we just have Amadi there and. Who else? So I, I, I just think with the two safety spots with Diggs and Jamal Adams, I'm still really excited about Blair as a prospect. That's the thing. And I feel kind of bad for him with this Adams trait, but if he's going to make the, you know, if he's going to make the field, if he's going to get snaps, if he's going to get playing time, nickel corner is just the most realistic path forward. I think. Interesting, Dana. I, I look at Blair and his body type to me is not a nickel corner. I just I, that's the part for me. I, I just cannot, I cannot 
imagine him being the solution at nickel. My like I I I've been assuming this for a while now. Um, that when people say that they've got this inside info or there's rumors that Blair's gonna get on the field in nickel, I think it's more what Nathan was talking about that that Quandre Diggs, who's who's played both nickel corner and mm-hmm. safety, um, maybe can slide down and Blair can play his natural safety position in the back. So he'll get a lot of snaps as an as a nickel safety, not as mm-hmm. a nickel corner. Um, but even then it, let's assume that's the case that does seem to put a, a ceiling on how Blair can be used. Like he basically in that situation would be like, uh, what was his name? Is it, what's our third safety? It started with a J back in the Legion of Boom era. Jerome, no. Jerome Johnson. Yeah. Johnson. Jerome Johnson. Jerome Johnson. Was that his name? Jerome Johnson. Yeah. It's Jerron. Yeah, Jerron Johnson. Okay. I follow him on Instagram. <laughs> He's a good kid. <laughs> okay. He's a nice kid. Yeah. Kind of littler guy, a little smaller guy. Yeah. But, you know, here's the thing with Blair. I, I agree with Evan. I think that what we saw last year out of him showed us that there's room for improvement, that there there's a lot that can be improved on. And, and so I think that... Um, He's going to be another one of the, you know, this is where I worry. I worry when Seattle starts trying to get people to fit into spots all over the place. We're moving Fant to here and this one to there. And, oh, he used to be offensive lineman and now he's, you know, whatever. I, I That makes me nervous. So I kind of agree with you a little bit there. But I, I do think that they must have a plan for him because they were they were putting him in all kinds of different situations. Now, granted, sometimes they didn't have a choice but because that's the players that they had. But I think that – um that I, where I agree with Evan is that he really, there's a lot of room for growth and potential and where they kind of decide that is going to be, it will be interesting to watch. I, I, I think you're right. I think Diggs makes a little bit more sense to slide, but you just never know. They, they, they try and shove players into places they don't always need to be sometimes. So. Yeah. Well, you should know, Dana, you're getting lots of love in the chat. Everyone's oh. <laughs> uh, really hoping that you're going to be a regular on the show. So we'll, 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 we'll talk and much. figure out how often we can have you on and how often you're available. But, but um, one of the questions I have is we're kind of closing in on an hour here and, and I'm sure people have got to enjoy some of the sunshine that we, we rarely get around here. So um, <laughs> let's talk about where this shifts things in the NFC West and the impact of Adams and, and where things change. So, uh, Nathan, you kind of touched on it earlier. Um, maybe we'll start with you on this about how Adams can help against some of the, the ways that the different teams in the NFC West have attacked them. I think you can kind of start with the 49ers being the odds on favorite in the division. One, I, are we all agreed that the 49ers are still the odds on favorite for the division title? Heck no, no, Heck no. there's going to be a Super Bowl hangover with those guys. Like their roster is not better than it was last year. Right now it is worse. Yeah. They traded an, they traded an all pro away an absolute Uh stud, you know, into force Buckner, right? Yeah. I think that's who it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Emmanuel Sanders is gone. Right. Isn't. Yep. Oh, he he went to Denver, didn't he? No, he came from Denver. I don't know where he went. Oh, sorry. He signed with somebody or, something they definitely didn't sign him again and their their receivers are like other than Debo um are like rookies like Brandon Ayuk and and some of those guys um he went to the Saints 
free yeah. agency like a lifetime ago. <laughs> I, know, I know, right? It's really hard. Saints. Sam, he's with the Saints now. Ah, uh, well. So- so, yeah, so you don't think you think they're going to be hangover you i mean knowing you evan you probably think the cardinals are the favorite because you're obsessed with uh they're not the favorite but i think they're out of out of the rams 49ers and the cardinals themselves i think the cardinals are the most intimidating and you know what that jamal adams that jamal adams trade was less because of george kittle and more because of deandre hopkins I, really? I agree with that a little. Hundred percent. Really? Hundred percent. Even ever face each other. Like, <laughs> Kyler Murray is a little leprechaun about. back there. He's like a little Russell Wilson. Like he he he's magic with and the worst he, offensive line. <laughs> I don't. He's the second that. best quarterback in the NFC West. Well, no, I, I mean, I, 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 agree I with, think I he's agree a good quarterback. That. I don't understand the DeAndre Hopkins piece at all. To me. To me, Jamal Adams is about, you know, stopping the run and defending tight ends. Like it are the two things that I think he brings most. And then the, the bonus is that he also brings pass rush. And as we said before, he had more sacks, six and a half. I was wrong in my tweet. Yes, he had six and a half. And our leading sacker last year was Rasheem Green with four. So, um, you know, but yeah, like I, I, I do see it more as like being impactful in defending the run and by the way the rams run the ball a lot um yeah, and but the now really, so we don't have to worry about it anymore I <laughs> wait what'd you say they don't they don't really. todd Gurley's no longer there so he's not worried about the rams running it means they're probably better though yeah like, they, don't know, have, like, they don't have a league average running back anymore is what like <laughs> his backup was actually like doing pretty well wasn't he yeah. wasn't it like cj anderson or something yeah, well, that was a few years ago. So, so Nathan, I mean, is that is that your assessment as well? Like, that's where like tight ends and and running game are probably the places that that Jamal Adams will have the biggest impact. Yeah, I I mean, I, I probably wouldn't want to put too much on it, but I don't think that the I don't imagine that Pete Carroll loves that Sean McVay has his number, um, and I think Jamal Adams is a pretty good. If Pete can't slow down those Rams offenses led by Jared uh, Jared Goff, God, I can't remember anything anymore. Uh, <laughs> and with Jamal Adams back there running around, um, you know, I think I think that's going to be pretty a pretty big hit to his pride. So, yeah, I uh, why can't I just give up on Clowney? Why can't I just give up on it and be a happy dude and move it's on? It's because, and I'm sorry, Dana, I'm completely pessimistic on this. The pass rush is catastrophically worse than what it was last year. No, it's not. Yes, it is. So yes, it is. And I'll tell you, I will tell you why, Brian. Genevieve Clowney is a top 15 pass rusher. You know who was also their second best pass rusher last year? And we all forgot that he left. Quinton Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Quinton Jefferson. You know who they also lost? Not a pass rusher, but a good defensive lineman. Your favorite player, Al Woods. Signed for like a $1 million deal with the Jags on a one-year deal. You cannot, all, you cannot tell all, me that adding adding like a 45-year-old Bruce Irvin on the defensive line <laughs> with a rotational Benson Mayoa who plays like 10 snaps a game is equalizing that out. You cannot tell me that. It is catastrophically worse. And First I'm not all, saying this I, to I be wanna, a hot take. I, I want to apologize for everybody listening uh, that you had to turn down your, your volume. It's the <laughs> truth, Brian. Regularly that whenever Evan talks, 
at, at Evan at the F and Evan decibel level that only like dogs and cats can actually hear uh, that people have to turn down their mics, that they blow out their ears. Uh, you know, there's people jogging. There's going to be people jogging for the next week listening to this. And they're just going to like, ears are going to start bleeding. Listening to my loud voice is less painful than what watching the pass rush is going to be like this. Oh, uh, okay. So, so, so get let's ready. Get to, let's get to the the content. And I, it, it is it is a stretch. It is a very generous to call it content of your argument there. So, so the Seahawks had the worst pass rush probably in the NFL last year. I mean, if not the worst, it was, it's, it's definitely in the conversation. And Javian Clowney, as much as a huge fan of him as I am, and as much as I hope they sign him, was not a great pass rusher last mm-hmm. year. He had a couple a of games where He's he was different. a good pass rusher. And I'm mm-hmm. not even talking about the fact he had three sacks. He has never in his career been an elite pass rusher. He's gotten to the point where he is sure. an above average pass rusher, but he's never been an elite pass rusher. So I mean, pro football focus had him uh, at 15 last year. Well, I would just say I'm pretty sure uh, Bruce Irvin and Benson Mayoa have had multiple years that have at higher pass rush efficiency than Jadavian Clowney's ever had. Like, I, I don't know that for sure, and I can go and double check, but those guys have been efficient pass rushers over the past few years and pass rush specialists over the past few years. Are they the same level of player as Jadavian Clowney? Of course not. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking specifically about pass rush, they are better pass rushers than Jadavian Clowney. So now you have two guys that are better edge rushers than Jadavian Clowney. Uh, so the other piece and I know where this is going to go for, for some folks on this call. <laughs> Jaron Reed was out for the first six games last year and did not play like himself for most of the year. You can't say that he will have, like, there's no logic in saying two things, that his 10s and a half sack year was an aberration and that last year was who he is. Those two things can't both be necessarily true. Like you can't have that perspective and say, well, hey, there could be two outliers. Let's find out what he actually is. Can he be a a better interior pass rusher than what the Seahawks had last year? Has he proven to be a better interior pass rusher than Quentin Jefferson has at times? Yeah, he has. Not consistently, but he definitely has. Quentin Jefferson is completely romanticized by this fan base in ways that like, I, I don't understand. The guy is at best a league average player. So I, I don't, I don't see the logic that the Seahawks are significantly worse at pass rush. Maybe, maybe, maybe you could argue they're similar, but I think in most cases, I think they're better pass rushers, pass rushing team. My criticism is they should have been a significantly better pass rushing team. There was so much opportunity for them to make this a great pass rush and right now, it is lukewarm. There's no way this is a great pass rush the way it is right now. And that's, to me, the unacceptable, absolutely awful part of this offseason that they had every opportunity to address. And what we don't know, there's the draft picks. That's the thing we don't know. We all assume LJ Collier is going to suck. I don't know about Dana. Dana might be more optimistic than me. I don't expect anything from LJ Collier. But then you got, what is it? Uh, I'm going to forget names. Is it Daryl Taylor? Yeah. Yeah. They get it right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the other guy they drafted this year, uh, Allen Robinson. No, not Allen Robinson. Robinson yeah. is the one everyone's excited about to see, to see For kind Syracuse, of what right? he can do. Yeah. You, you know, those mid round draft picks again, why I'm not so upset about the first rounds being gone. Those mid round draft picks are so fun to watch. 
Alton Robinson. Thank you, Agent Michael Scarn on uh, chat. <laughs> yes. So, like, I think there's some unknowns there, but Evan, there is no way it is nearly as vitriolic as you're, your, you're, you're, what your, you're doing is you're expecting older rotational players to come in and play full time snaps. And you're telling me they're going to have a greater net impact than the clown, than the, than the impact Clowney had on the pass rush last year. Are you yes. really telling me that yes. that's insanity. I don't, I, don't, I don't think they're going to be full time. I, I don't think, I don't know how, where mm-hmm. you're getting that from. I think they're rotational players still. I mean, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm like 99% on your side here, uh, Brian. I, I do. Woo! Uh, <laughs> Go on. I do wonder though, like what is like from a base defense perspective, right? Where you're not, maybe you're not getting Irvin and Mayo. Like there may be packages that they roll out there where they are catastrophic, catastrophically worse as a path rushing unit because you know, Clowney was a, a three-down guy, and he could do anything you want. He could stop the run. He could rush, rush the passer, right? And, and we have seen, you know, where Pete is sometimes he's he will, he's just more cautious against the run, right? And so there may be times where they're less likely to put their actual pass rushers on the field. In those situations, you may see a really big drop off. Actually, about anything where you're, you know, anything where you've got, you know, those guys on the field, and I think the versatility that they provide, even though that they're you know, individually not as good a pass rusher as Connie. I do think that, you know, it's a wash probably from a pass rushing perspective. Brian, we may disagree on the pass rush, but you know is going to be significantly worse la- than what is going to be significantly worse this year than last year, I can almost guarantee you, is our run stopping defense. Al Woods. Yeah. I think top. our interior defensive line, you know, a hundred percent agree. Um Al Woods and Clowney were are were big run stoppers, huge they run were, stoppers. And, and I, I don't think that they've addressed the interior defensive line. I think Puna Ford was not the player that I think we hoped he would be last mm-hmm. year. Doesn't mean he won't be this year, but I don't think he was the the world beater that we were hoping for. So, yeah, I think that's absolutely fair that that's a big question mark. Um, yeah, it's it, it'll be interesting, but I will bet you, Evan, and we can figure out the terms on this, but I will bet you that Bruce Irvin and uh, uh, Benson Mayoa will have more sacks than Jadavian Clowney. And I'll even, do, we'll even do advanced stats if you want. We can do pass pressures or hits or whatever. Well, I'm trying to think and about what the J- best measure would be. Then Jadavian Clowney and uh, what was the guy that Quentin Jefferson last year? Oh. So last year, Bruce Irvin had more sacks than Clowney, Jefferson, and Ziggy Ansah all together. That's it, Ziggy Ansah. So, yes. Mm-hmm. So Clowney, Ansah, and Jefferson. I will give you all three of those guys against just Irvin and Mayoa. No, just give, just, just give me Clowney and Quentin Jefferson. I okay. just want to. Okay. It's, a, it's an easy win for me. Okay. I'm going to so be dining at Daniel's boiler. Name the terms. Are we talking sacks? Are we talking pressures? What are we talking? I don't know if sacks is the best measure um i feel like you should just do team-wide pressure rate was no no who has the average the better average uh pressure rate between the two players so add the two players you know average it and then okay so, so we're going with like we want to go with like pff's pass rush productivity which is pressures I, and hits and sacks. i think that's probably the best yeah. you'll go with that Okay, yeah. so we're going to say 
we're going to say that combining Quentin Jefferson and Jadavian Clowney from last year, you're saying they will be better than Benson Mayoa and Bruce Irvin this year. Yeah. I'll take you and Rachel out to Daniel's brother if I'm wrong. Done. Done. <laughs> Do you just factor an injury to this at all? Or is it just going to be uh, like, or, you know, the new, assuming there's no IR. <laughs> well, because we're doing efficiency, like it shouldn't be super impacted. True. Right. Mm-hmm. So unless there's a catastrophic injury. <laughs> yeah. I think we should say a minimum combined uh, 12 games played. Sure. Sure. That That's cool with me. Make sure there's some, some sample size to it. All right. So we're, we're, we're past the hour here. Anything else that folks wanted to uh, talk about? Hey, Alex. She um, made me butter beer. We have a, what is we have butter a, beer. What is butter beer? What? what? I am disgusted. <laughs> appalled. Harry Potter. Did Harry you have Potter. a childhood? I, yeah. It was just about 30 years before you were seven. So. <laughs> okay. That's a fair point. Uh, it's an amazing, I guess it's not alcoholic in Harry no, Potter. It's, it's basically butterscotch and ginger ale. But my oh. wife put a ton of crack, crack and rum in here. So. Okay. What? Kraken. Uh, Kraken rum. <laughs> <laughs> no, I heard what you heard the first time. Too. Uh-huh. Crack and no, rum. I purpose- That's what I heard too. <laughs> that was the joke. I, I, that was the joke, you guys. I purposely stopped at crack. Uh, because I, I don't know if, by the way, that name for that hockey team, I think is brilliant. I, I love the Kraken. It would make, it would answer so many questions if you actually were on crack and rum, uh, Evan. I think so many questions would be answered. Seahawks make me feel like I'm on crack sometimes. Times. that's how yeah. that's this emotional roller coaster yeah yeah um so daniel's broiler that's the deal daniel's broiler we, all right we we now have this on on record uh, and many witnesses so average that- pressure rate between quinton jefferson and jadavian Clowney versus mayo and urban correct yes wait i have a question how is this going to be adjusted if Clowney's back in seattle no, this is just the, this is just, just last year versus this year, okay. last year versus this year. So mm-hmm. last year's is already locked in and we're just talking yeah. about Irvin and Mayo this year. Yeah. 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 I, I would, I would like to, well, what will, I already have the, uh, um, the double or nothing ready for you after it starts going the wrong way for you to, to give you a chance. And that'll be around total team pressures. Um, Cause wait, I need to make sure we're talking about the correct terms here. I'm talking about cl- what clowny in Quentin Jefferson do this year? No, 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 no. You no. said that last no year. Sense. You said this. Why year, would it not be this year? You said that this year's pass rush is going to be significantly worse than last year's. Oh, okay. So the well, point I'll, is, what was last year's pass rush rate with those two players that you're so fond of? Okay, no, that's fair. Versus, versus that's fair. this year for those no, two guys. I still think that's an easy win. Yeah, I'll take that. All right, well done. Uh, Nathan, Dana, anything else before we wrap up? No. <laughs> I just want to say that I pulled a lot of punches on running back comments today. I, I'm very nice to our guests. So if anyone is out there like, I'd love to be a guest, but I'm afraid I'm going to get yelled at for my running back opinions. I can be nice. That's all. <laughs> I, 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 my, my running back job, opinion Nathan. is God love Marshawn Lynch. That's my whole running back opinion. So. <laughs> Oh, that's my whole running back opinion. I just want you to know we're gonna have a dedicated Evan loses his shit show when Chris Carson gets an extension. 
I just want you to know that. Yeah. Wear earmuffs. It's it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> Dana, it's been a pleasure having you on. Oh, thank, thank you, you guys for having me. Sunday. For yeah. folks that are joining late, pre, please uh, follow Dana at Dana, D-A-Y-N-A-O-G. Um, and that's for O'Gorman, by the way, <laughs> yeah. uh, on Twitter. Uh, and, you know, follow her pod. Where can they find your your pod and, and other stuff uh, that so, you're working on? Again, I, we, I um, write for Our Turf Football, which is OurTurfFB.com. And then we have under the same name, um, Our Turf FB on YouTube. You can find us there too. All right. Okay. Nathan, Evan, it was awesome seeing you guys. Um, let's hope that the next show we do does not involve Antonio Brown being signed. Um, no. that, would, that would not be good. Um, I think we're all united on that. Mm-hmm. But uh, man, it is, today is July 26 that means training camp starts now right next week yeah i think for all this you know back and forth about you know covid uh regulations within the nfl and everything it sure feels like football's gonna happen i mean it might not be the smart decision but i think at this rate it looks like it might yeah yeah it'll it'll be interesting i guess what we will find out like everything else going on this year it's a it's a wait and see kind of thing so thanks everybody for joining it's been great in the chat seeing you if you haven't already um please go ahead and join at patreon.com slash hawk blogger support the show tell your friends leave a review subscribe hit the little uh bell to get notified when we go live um, and if you, you didn't see earlier, we, we set our record for charitable donations this year. We donated $40,000 to charity this year. Um, uh, now up over $170,000 that we've been able to donate from the show to charity over the years. So your support uh, means a lot and goes to great places. Um, and I really appreciate that. So we're getting started. The season's kind of getting started, folks. So uh, hopefully we'll have more great content and more things to talk about uh, very soon. And until then, please stay safe and uh, go Hawks.